we get started, I want to remind you that there are some booklets back there, little binders. If you'd like a binder, this helps you to organize all your stuff and put it together. They're $10 back there. That's just what they cost. And then, But also, if you had your lessons, the lesson don't cost you anything. And there should be lessons to be able to pick them up. Has everybody got, did everybody get a copy of a lesson to be able to, everybody needs it, you've got to fill in the blanks. Did everybody get one? Did anybody not have one? That means yes or no. There are others we have. Okay, make sure you have that as we go through it. Uh, the second lesson uh, is on Faith Define Part 1, the ownership of God's promises. Now, as we get started each week, I want to share with you a personal testimony or story from my life as I began to grow in my journey of faith. I, I share with you how I was blessed beyond measure to be able to be the, under a pastor who brought a lot of great teachers in and a lot of great teachers in faith who spoke to me, who challenged me to be a man of faith, to live a life of faith rather than a life of living by sight. And I'm so thankful for that. Well, in the process of that, God just began to challenge me at a very early age while I was still in college about truly living that life of faith. And one of the key principles that you'll find as we talk about faith, one of the key things you'll hear over and over again is you'll hear me talk about the promises of God, all right? You just need to get that in your mind and in your heart. In God's Word, they're the promises of God. And the promises of God are the key to the life of faith. So as I was taught about living a life of faith, I was taught that we needed to claim a promise from God. And find that promise in God's Word. And how you go about finding that promise and how you realize or know that that is a promise from God. And I'll teach you all about that as we're going through this. You'll understand more and more about the promises of God, receiving a word from God, that sort of thing. But, but what they shared with us, or shared with me, and I grasp, is that I needed to claim the promises of God when I was facing some situation that I needed for God to work. I needed for God to move. I wanted to see God do something, all right? Something that only God could do is that I was to look for a promise from God when God would give me that promise, then I was to hold on to that promise and believe that promise until it became a reality, all right? That's the life of faith, getting, getting a promise from God, holding on to that promise until it becomes a reality. Well, as a young college student, if somebody were to ask me at that point in my life, if there's one thing that you wanted God to do, one thing you needed God to do, one of the miracles that God could accomplish, what would that be? Well, there was no doubt in my mind what that was. And many of you have heard my story about my dad. But the reality of it was that the, the one longing of my heart was for my dad to be saved. Okay, I... I grew up in a family where my mom got saved, and when my mom got saved, my sister and I both got saved, and I was seven years old, my sister was nine, and we were all baptized at the same time. And at that point in time, my mother became a faithful church member. I mean, she carried us, and we were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If the janitor was there, we were there, you know. We, 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 were, just, we were just brought there to church, and, and my mother did, but... But my dad was not a believer, 
All right? My dad was a believer. My whole experience of life was getting up on Sunday and seeing dad read the paper and drink his coffee while we all got ready and went to church. And then whenever we came home from church, there was dad watching the football game. And that was it. That was the whole experience of it. My dad was not a bad man. He was a blind man. He, he was good. He took care of our family. He didn't carouse, didn't drink, didn't do anything else, made a good living, provided for us. But he grew up in a family where basically his dad was not a spiritual man either. And because his dad wasn't a spiritual man, all the boys, he had ten brothers, and or ten of them in all, six boys and four girls, the boys all followed the pattern of the dad, and they didn't go to church. The girls all followed the pattern of my grandmother, and they were all great Christians. That's just the way it was. I know that that makes sense, but that's the way it was. And so my dad was a lost man. And whenever I got saved, and I heard about Jesus, and I heard about heaven and hell, and you get to go to heaven because Jesus is in your heart and your life, but if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell I loved my dad. I, I, I adored my dad. He was, he was my hero, you know. And so the longing of my heart was for my dad to get saved, for my dad to get saved. Anybody, there was no question in my mind, or in my brother and sister's mind, you know, what we wanted to see happen was we, we wanted our dad to get saved. Well, I was already a preacher. I surrendered to preach when I was a freshman in college, and this was, uh, when I learned about faith, it was all about my sophomore, junior year, up through my senior year. And so I was already preaching. When I was a freshman and, and, and sophomore, I'd, I would preach, do revivals. And my dad would come and listen to me preach, just like he watched me play football or baseball. Whenever I played sports, my dad was there. He was going to be there to support me. When I preached, my dad was there. You know, he, he was just going to be supportive of, of what I, I did. But I remember whenever I would preach, and I'd preach my heart out about giving your heart to Jesus, and we'd have the invitation, and I'd hold out the invitation, 20 verses, hoping Daddy would come. You know, One more verse, maybe Daddy will come. Well, he, was, he wasn't coming, he, he, he just wasn't moving. He was there to watch me, he wasn't there to participate really at all. So the longing of my heart was for my dad to get saved. And they taught me that if, if, if you really want that to happen, you'll see God do it. And I'm telling you, you know, you're talking about a miracle, all right? Yeah, I mean, it would be a miracle for my dad to get saved. My, like I said, he wasn't bad, but he was coarse. He was a construction worker. He had a foul mouth. You know, he just, he, he didn't even think about it, what he would say. But probably if there would have been a wager of who was going to go to hell in our neighborhood, my dad would have probably, a lot of money would have been put on him. That he's not going to get saved. No, nobody would think that my dad was going to get saved. So it was going to be a miracle of God to do that. Well, whenever I heard about the promises of God and believing that, I just began to search the Word of God for a promise. Okay, I mean, I'm searching that Word of God like a starving man looking for bread or a thirsting man looking for water. I, I'm just searching and searching and searching for that, for that Word from God. And, and I, I never did get that. I never was getting that Word from God. never got the Word of God till, till one one evening, I was doing just Bible study. I was sitting in my, well, actually laying in, in my bed in, in my dorm room, or apartment, and I was just reading through Scripture, not specifically looking for a promise for my dad at that particular time, but I read this passage in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and following. It said, And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. All right? 
And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask of God, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Now, if you read through that, it says, For that person who's praying, he will for them bring salvation and forgiveness of sin for that one that they're seeking and praying for. And when I, whenever I read that, God's Spirit just spoke to my heart, and He said, there's your promise. I can't tell you. I, I mean, tears just swelled up in my eyes. He said, I've been looking for that. There's your promise. There is your promise. I was so excited. I was so thrilled. The next day, I, got, I left college the next day after class, and drove home to see my mom and my sister. And I went in there to where my mother was, and I said, Daddy's going to be saved. <laughs> I said, Daddy's going to be saved. I said, God gave me this promise. And I read that promise to her, and my mom said, I don't know about that. Your daddy's harder than he's ever been. I went to my sister. She was a great woman of faith. And I, I said, Daddy's going to be saved. God gave me this promise. My sister lived there in the, in the city, and she, all, she said, I don't know, that'd be a miracle. And they both just felt that way, you know, regarding, I understand it was going to be, but God told me that my dad was going to be saved. Well, it totally changed me, all right, it changed me. From that point on, wherever I went to preach, I would tell people, I'd said, my dad is going to be saved, he just doesn't know it yet. He just doesn't know it. I'd tell that to anybody. But people look at me kind of weird, like you're kind of strange. I, I didn't care. My dad's going to be saved. He just doesn't know it yet. He just doesn't know it. And, and I, I would just tell that everywhere everywhere I could and everywhere I, I, I possibly would. I'd I, I talk to my dad. I said, I said, hey, Dad, I said, uh, do you ever have interest in spiritual things? No, no, I have any interest. I said, well, you will. You are one day. And he said, why you said that? I said, well, God's already told me you're going to be saved. I said, I don't know when that's going to be, but God's already told me you're going to be saved. I said, you've heard me preach enough. You know how to be saved. You might be in your, in your business one time, and God just convicts you, and you fall on your face and get saved. I don't know when it's going to be, but God told me that you're going to be saved. You've got to understand, these are my first steps of faith, all right? My first steps of faith. I'm going to share with you a very, a very unusual thing. That I ordinarily don't, I don't share this typically, but I'm going to share, you, share with you a very unusual thing that happened. That spring, I went to, it was my senior year, that spring I went out to Southwestern Seminary to uh, look over the seminary, me and two other guys. We went out there and we looked in, went to classes, looked over the seminary, and uh, it was on Saturday night before we were going to leave the next day to come back. And God said, Let's, hey, y'all want to go to a movie? And they said, yeah, well, I went to get ready. And God told me, he said, I don't want you to go to the movie, I want you to just stay here. I know I, I don't, God doesn't always speak to me that way, but he, he just told me. So I told this guy, I said, I'm, I'm supposed to stay here. Uh, you know, and, and so for about two hours, I just was in prayer with the Lord there in my room. Didn't know why, but I was in prayer in my room. When, whenever the Lord asked me this question, he asked me, he said, he said, I gave you a promise regarding your dad's salvation. He said, what if, what if you got a phone call right now and it, and that, that phone call, they told you that your dad had died, that your dad had died. What would you think about that promise? 
Now that's pretty piercing. What would you think about that promise? You know what my answer was? Well, I guess I got deceived. I guess I thought I got a promise, but it really wasn't a promise. And, yeah. and you know what the Lord said? I, I promise you, he said this to, to my, he said, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. And, and he said this to me. He said, the promise that I've given to you about your dad is so sure that if they were to call you up and tell you your dad had died, listen now, you would have to go resuscitate him in order for that promise to be fulfilled. I can't tell you what that did. I'm telling you, from that point on, I never, ever had a doubt in my heart that my dad was going to be saved. My dad would come listen to me preach. I didn't hold the invitation out one stanza longer than I thought it was because I wasn't worried about it. He's going to be saved. I'd tell everybody everywhere. Tell him over and over again, you're going to be saved. You're going to be saved. You're going to be saved. Well, Goes a number of years later, after I'm married and we've had children and everything else, we had a tragedy that happened in our family. Most of you know my brother died, and when my brother died, it crushed my daddy. It crushed my dad. My dad was a strong man. He could handle anything. He could, you know, nothing was too big for him. But when my brother died, it crushed my dad. And I, I buried my, my brother on a Sunday and on that Monday, I was burdened all day long that Monday about, and, and, I, and I thought, well, I must be burdened for my brother who died. But God said, no, you're not burdened for your brother, you're burdened for your dad. Your brother's fine, but your dad is lost. And my, my dad and mom, they owned their own business, they had an office in their home. And I was sitting there, because I was in evangelism at that time, and I worked for them while I was home. I was sitting in there in their office behind his desk when my dad walked in. And he sat across the desk from me. And I started talking to him. Ooh. I never was a pretty crier. I never had been able to cry and talk. I started, I started talking to him about the burden I had. And, and I told him, I said, it's not about Ricky. It's, it's about you, you know, and, for about two hours, for about two hours, I shared the gospel with my dad. And then he just got up, went, fell down on his knees. And, and he prayed and asked Jesus to come into his heart. And... What a great experience that was. Oh, yeah, it was. What a, what a glorious experience that was to hear my dad accept Christ. And uh, very, uh, he, he just, his life was changed, you know. And he never went to church with my mom at all, but from that point on, he is always in church. <laughs> he went to church all the time with my mom. I, I've often said my dad couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, he couldn't sing for nothing. But I, the sweetest sound I ever had in all of my life was to sit in front of my dad and my mom and listen to my dad sing. Because I'd longed for that all my life. I'll tell, tell you how significant, though, a victory that was. Uh, whenever, whenever I finished praying with my dad, and I got just on my knees with him and we prayed, and, and whenever we were finishing the prayer, uh, a, a car pulled beside the house. The driveway went by the house. And, and, and the, 
the car went by there, and I didn't know what it was, but when I came out, my brother-in-law was telling me, he was talking to my mom and said, Mac has to come with me. Yeah, I remember my, we just buried my brother. Well, my older sister, my brother-in-law married my older sister. My, my older sister was fearful of her, that she was going to die, and she wasn't sure she was saved. Now, my sister's a great Christian. But he said, now listen to this, he said, for two hours, she's been begging me to come get you, to talk to her, for two hours. You know how long I've been talking to my dad? For two hours. See, the old devil knew that he was about to lose. And so he took the weakness of my sister in that weak state, trying to get me away from my dad. But my brother-in-law prayed with her and read scripture with her, finally came to get me and got in the car to ride over to see my sister. And I told him, I said, Dad, just pray to receive Christ. When I walked in my sister's house, she was in a chair, all folded up, and she was fearful. And I walked up to her, and all I said was, Gail, Daddy just prayed to receive Christ. And just like that, all her fear was gone away. See, we're talking about the power of God. We're talking about the movement of heaven and, and all of these kind of things. When we talk about living by faith and claiming the promises of God. And, and that was my first experience of that, which is the greatest, one of the greatest victories that's ever happened to me in my life and one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. And I, I'll share it with you along the way. It didn't, I didn't get that promise, and then uh, six weeks later it happened. We're talking about years of time and how God encouraged me to keep believing along the way. You have to have those words of encouragement. But the greatest promises you'll have will not be financial blessings, and I'll share some things like that. It won't be the greatest victories that will ever happen in life is when you believe for somebody's soul. When you're believing for God to save somebody, that's a miracle. And what a glorious thing it is when God does those wonderful, wonderful things. All right? I didn't mean for that to take that long, but I want you to, I want you to know my heart. I want you to know why it's a passion to me to teach people about living by faith rather than living by sight. Now, this is what it says here on, on the, the first part of this. It says, very few terms used in the Bible are actually defined by God. I mean, even, even the word love, which is so important, it's not defined in the word of God anywhere. Okay, it's not to say love is this. <laughs> it says God is love, but it doesn't define love. Uh, the Corinthian passage, 13, 1 Corinthians 13, it, it has a description of all kinds. Love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, all those things. But never does it define even that most important word, word love. Many words are described or illustrated, but not specifically defined. But when God defines a word in the Bible, we can be assured that he wants us to understand the word's meaning. We can also feel confident that when God defines a word, it is, circle this word, essential for us to grasp its meaning. Faith is one word that God chooses to define. That definition is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. All right? Hebrews 11, 1, that chapter that deals with God's hall of fame, those great people of faith, it begins with defining what faith is. And there are two parts. 
We're just dealing with the first part. Listen to what it says. I give you two different translations. In the King James Version, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I love that. I love that definition. In the, in the New American Standard, which is what I read, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. All right? We're taking just the first part. We're taking that part where it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, or now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We're going to take that and define that particular part of faith tonight. Okay? Now, let's talk about what it means when it uses the word substance. In the King James Version, when it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, most of us would not have any idea what that means when it says substance. But if you were to look up that word substance in the Greek text, that word substance carries the meaning of title deed. It is the title deed of ownership. All right? The title deed of ownership. It is the proof of ownership. It's the document that states that you have legal rights to it. It's the one thing you have in your hand that says, I possess it. Did you know if you own your land or your house or your lot or wherever you are, you can go out all day long, stand on that lot, you can go out there and paint something on it, you can do whatever you want to. None of that proves it's your lot. None of that proves. You know what proves it's your lot? You got a title deed. A title deed that has been filed that says this, as it describes it in great detail, this section of land, this house, this place is owned by you. It says, I possess it. I have it. Well, what is faith? Faith is that title deed of ownership that says, I have it. It's mine. Not that faith will cause me to have it. Faith says I possess it. Faith says I have it. Faith is the assurance that it is mine. Right? Now this is totally a, in a legal sense, Tim. It's totally a legal sense that what we have is not because I feel like I got it, because I don't feel like I've got it. Today I might have it, tomorrow I might not have it. No, it's a position we have. That when we have faith, we have the title deed of all things hoped for. Alright? The title deed of all things hoped for. Now that is so very, very important for you to get in your heart and get in your mind. You have title deeds to your house. You'll have title deeds to your land. You'll have a title deed to your car. You'll have a title deed to your boat. You've got a title. Whatever you possess, you have a title deed. Well, faith is that title deed of what he says things hope for. Now turn to the next page. When it says things hope for, what is that talking about? What does it mean that I possess? Faith says I possess things hope for. Well, hope is totally different in the New Testament than what it is in our colloquial language. If we, if we use the word hope, then there is a shadow of doubt. In other words, Jameson hopes that his team goes undefeated 
and that they win the state championship this year. All right? He's hoping for that. But is there any shadow of a doubt that that might happen? Oh, a big shadow. There's a big shadow. We hope that happens, but the chances are that it might not happen. Okay? But that's not the word hope in the Greek language. The word hope in the Greek language is the word absolute assurance. That which is absolutely certain. It is absolutely guaranteed. So when it talks about things that are hoped for, what's it talking about? It's, think, it's talking about the things that are called the promises of God. What, what, are the, what are the things hoped for? What are the things guaranteed? Whatever God promises you. Whatever God promises you, that is guaranteed by God. Whatever God promises you, that is the absolute truth that it's going to be yours. And it is yours to possess. And what faith says is, I own that which God has promised to me. I own that which God has promised me. Now, I want to show you, uh, turn in your Bibles for just a second to, to uh, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. I'm going to open up your mind to, to a verse that you've read before, but I want you to see it in, in this light, okay, and how it's distinctly different. This is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Listen to what Peter writes here. He says, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent... What? Ah, oh, circle that word. And what, is it, what are his promises? They are precious and they're what? Magnificent. They're glorious. They're beyond description. Look what else it says. He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Now listen, listen. In order that by them, those promises, those things God's promised, that in order by them, you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. How many of you want to become a partaker in the divine nature? How many of you want to get in on the divine economy? How many of you want to walk in a way that is reserved for the heavenlies? How many of you want to escape the mundane things of this world and the lust of this world, the corruption of this world, but to walk on a different plane that God has given and destined to His children. How many of us want that? Hallelujah. Amen. I want that. How do you do that? By His precious and magnificent promises. He gives you these promises so that those promises elevate you to a different walk. I'm, I'm going to tell you, if you, if you live by sight and not by faith, it is a boring life. I'm just being honest. It is a boring life. If all you do is live by sight and by the things of this world, it is boring. Now, you, you tell me what's, what's more boring than going to work a job, make some money, pay out all you got to go work a job, to make some money, to pay out all you got, to work some more, to do some more. That sounds exciting. 
versus walking in the heavenlies, seeing God do something that only God can do. Watch God show up in a miraculous way. Beyond what you can ever figure, beyond what you can ever calculate, it's what God does based on His precious and magnificent promises. Now listen to what it says next. The faith that we are called on to exercise is a gift from God. It's important. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.8, we're very familiar with this verse, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and the italics in the next is, is, is mine, and that, and that faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Do you know that you have faith because God gives you faith? He, he gifted you with faith. He gave to you the capacity to have faith. Every one of us have faith. I'll show you that in just a minute. Every one of us have faith. Well, I just don't have faith. Oh, yes, you do. You have faith and you exercise it over and over and over again every day. Every day. What you've got to learn is where do you put your faith? And, and the strength of faith is not faith. The strength of faith is the object of faith. You'll learn that. The object of the faith is where the power is, where the strength is. So even that faith that you have that you're going to exercise is a gift from God. Even the ability to get saved, God gives you the ability to have faith, to believe unto salvation. That's a gift from God. All right? Now... Look what else it says. God has given each of us a gift of faith. Don't come here and say, well, I don't have that gift. <laughs> yes, everybody has the gift of faith. Listen to what it says. We each have the capacity to believe. Listen to what it says in Romans 12, 3. God has allotted to each one a what? A measure of faith. So look at, each, look at somebody across the table and say, you've got faith. Tell somebody, you, you've got faith. Because God gave it to you. Okay? That's the truth. You have faith because God allotted that measure of faith to you. Now, go on to the next. We are provided different measures of faith. Paul writes in Romans 12, 6. Listen. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, listen now, according to the portion of his faith. We don't all have the same portion. We don't have all the same. Somebody may have a bigger portion than, than you have, and you may have a bigger portion than somebody else. But don't worry about the portion. It's not how big your faith is. It's whether or not you exercise it. It's whether or not you use it. That's the whole key. A person with minute faith who exercises their faith will bring... Heaven to earth, ten times more than somebody who may have a large measure of faith, but never exercise it. So our problem is not our size of our faith. The problem is, do we choose to exercise it? And that's a choice that we have. Okay, listen to the next paragraph. None of us knows what measure of faith has been given to us. We're not to compare our faith with each other. We're not to boast about our measure of faith or lack confidence due to our perception that we have little faith. Listen to this. The key is not the size of our faith, but the exercise of 
our faith. Hold on a second. Can you tell me how, much, how big your faith is? Do you have it in your purse? Any of you ladies have your faith in your purse? Yeah. What about you guys? You got it in your wallet. Ricky, you got it in your wallet. Can you show me what you got? Okay. None of us can, none of us can, can show and compare our faith to anybody else's faith. So it doesn't matter what size it is. What matters is that you exercise that faith that God has given to you. Now, in case some of you are really feeling good and saying, boy, I tell you what, I got great faith. I got great in case you're In case you're feeling that way, look what it says next. To put things in perspective, we need to be reminded of what Jesus said about faith when he said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Did y'all hear that? Say to this mountain, move mountain from here to there, and, and what is impossible to you? And nothing is impossible to you. If you have the faith the size of Mount Everest, is that what your translation said? What did your translation say? Look back in your Bible. What, what, what does that say? If you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, do you ever seen a mustard seed? It's tiny. Little tiny mustard. So, so on the next page, I ask this question just to keep us in perspective. How many mountains have you been moving? How many mountains have you been moving? The size of a mustard seed is all that is needed to move mountains. So I dare say most of us, could, we could grow in our faith, couldn't we? But remember, it's not the size of your faith. It's the exercise of your faith. And isn't it interesting, when you exercise your muscles, they get bigger and stronger. They're supposed to. Isn't that true? If you don't exercise them, they get weak. It's the exercise of it. Okay, remember it's not the size of your faith, but the exercise of our faith. Now, very quickly, I want you to see this. We exercise faith in daily living. Some of the simplest things in life all point to the fact that we have faith. Let's just name a few, okay? And we, we, we say, I don't have faith. Yes, we do. Every one of us have faith. Let me give you some examples. When you drive your car, you put your key in your car and you turn the key, or you, for some of you, push the button. And when you do that, you expect your car to... That's faith. When you drive your car and you drive through a green light, you have faith that the people on the opposite sides are perpendicular. You have a red light and that they're going to stop. If you come to a crossroad and you have a go through, you're anticipating that they're going to stop at the stop sign. You drive all day long and you don't think about that. Not till somebody looks like they're going to run the red light, right? You drive and your mind is a million miles away. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever driven home and not, not remember how you got there? Oh, you're scary. You know. you know what you're exercising? Faith. All that's faith. Because you, you're, you're believing everybody's going to stop when they're supposed to stop. It shocks you when they don't. That's all faith. What about eating? 
When you sat down, if you ate the meal tonight, you're anticipating that it is healthy and not poisonous, didn't you? And it's nutritious and, and it's, it's safe for you to eat. You didn't, none of you thought, you didn't sit around and go, man, I'm not sure if this is healthy or not. I'm not sure. I saw y'all scarfing it up. You, you weren't thinking about whether it's healthy or not at all. Okay. What, what about the fact of, of banking? Do y'all, have, do y'all, have, y'all do banking? John's a banker back there. See, John, they put it in anticipating they can what? Get it out. Would you put yours in if you didn't think you could get it out? No, no way in the world would you do that. Why would you, why do you do it? You have faith. You have faith. And also we're federally insured. We don't have faith in the bank. We got, we got faith in government to bail us out. Somehow, right? There's all, what, have any of you ever flown in a plane? Yeah, let me see your hand. Anybody ever flown in a plane? Do you know that the only way you flew in a plane was by faith? It's the only way you can fly. It's by faith. Because you got in a plane that you did not build, and you can't even understand aerodynamics. You do not know the pilot by name. You don't even know the stewardess. But you're sitting there strapped into that huge monstrosity of a plane going to take off. That's all faith, isn't it? Any of you ever been in a boat? Why in the world would you get in a boat? Out in the middle of the ocean or a lake. Why would you do that? By faith. It's, it's all by faith. You just say it over and over and over again. You, you buy insurance policies so that when you go to the doctor, you can pay that copay. And they're going to pay the rest. Or when you die, your family will have something. Why would you buy that insurance? Faith. Everything you and I do is an exercise in faith. Yeah, you just, just think about it. Everything you do is an exercise in faith. So you have faith. You exercise faith. Here's the key. The simple act of faith in daily living must be expanded to the biblical mandate, have faith in God. Very quickly. Why is it that we find it easy to practice faith in daily living, but we, do not, we find it difficult to have faith in God? Number one. For one thing, the enemy knows that when we walk by faith in God, we become a force to be reckoned with in this world. So Satan is going to battle us in the area of faith in God. He doesn't care if you have faith in the traffic light or in your starter of your car, but he does care if you have faith in God. You'll turn the world upside down when you have that. Two, another point is that most of our acts of faith are done with little thought. Isn't that true? But to trust God and have faith in His promises takes an obvious decision and commitment. And finally, we find ourselves in, a, in the great companies of people who blindly exercise faith in daily living, but the path is not, not heavily traveled to those who walk by faith in God. We must be willing to walk alone if necessary. Understand this, that when you decide that you're truly going to walk by faith in God. You're going to claim the promises of God. You're going to believe God for the impossible. Whenever you begin to do like that, you will walk alone. Many, many of your steps will be alone because there are not a whole lot of people who are walking that pathway. You'll be considered a fool. That's all right. It's better to be a fool and watch Jesus work than to be considered sane and 
live the mundane life of just by sight. Amen? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the assurances of the promises of God. Now you say, do I just go point my finger and I can have whatever I want? No, no. It's no wish list. You'll learn how you receive a promise from God. It's not just what's written in the Logos. It's what God reveals to your heart. We'll understand more about that, all right? God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.